0: So, let's jump into today's message. Election seasons are stressful. Can I get an amen from anybody? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. The advertisements and the social media and the workplace talk and the family stuff, it all... It all makes matters worse, too. It's stressful enough as is. It's like, you want what shouldn't be legal? You want me to do all of that? It's stressful enough. And then you throw in all of the controversy and the, the ads and the social media stuff, all of the issues that we, we see. And, and there's just these conversations that come up concerning politics that I feel like I'm always wrong. Whatever assumption I make, whenever I step into a conversation like that, I'm like, okay, I feel like it's probably safe to say this, right? This is just hashtag team reasonable to say, and I end up on hashtag team triggered, right? I end up up saying something that's like, clearly, who I'm talking to, they would be on this side of the issue, so I could make that joke, or clearly, they would be on that side of the issue, so I could say this thing, and I'm always wrong. I can't read it on people. I don't know what anybody actually believes or actually wants or actually thinks is best for the country. And so I've just, uh, I've adopted a phrase that I wanted to share with you. And I think it's a little bit of a secret thing. So if you end up in any kind of conversations with people, whether it's at work or around the dinner table or with family, friends, and you're like, I'm I'm about to get punched, uh, or I'm about to punch somebody, right? And, and you're in the deep throes of this kind of conversation. There's a phrase that I have found always works, always gets me out. Do you need a phrase like that? Would you like, for, for this season that's ahead of us, would you like to have a phrase where you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that's what... You can always say, well, it's sure going to be interesting, that will get you out of 99.999% of the arguments that you have whenever you end up deep in And you're like, I thought we were on the same side, and now I know that we're not. I thought that what I said was reasonable, and now that I know that it was not, phew, it's going to be interesting, though, isn't it? And they think you're on their side. That's the, that's the beauty of it. They're like, oh, yeah, he sees it. He sees it now. He sees that they're crazy and now he, he wrecked so you're welcome for that. Today's conversation is going to be a bit different than last week. Today we're going to get into some of the things that are maybe a little more direct, a little, a little less ambiguous. Um, I don't think it's going to be controversial, but I do want to just say up front, I just want to remind you, I love you, and I want to remind you that you love me. Uh, and I think that having this conversation is actually going to make us all better. It's actually going to bring more peace than division. Uh, it's going to bring more unity than division. It's going to help, um, but it might sting a little bit a couple of times. So let's start in the obvious place. Let's start the conversation in an obvious place today um, with two phenomenons that have to do with innocent people and their relationship with criminals. Uh, does that seem like an obvious place for you to, for us to start? when we're talking about party affiliation, politicians, Politician allegiance. Let's talk about two phenomenons that that are kind of have to do with an association between innocent people and uh, criminal people. The first one is ad hominem. You ever heard of this uh, this term right here? Anybody familiar with ad hominem? This is Latin. This is what three semesters of high school Latin will teach you. A phrase like that, and I know what the one on the dollar bill says, and there's a couple of things that I now know from all of that time. Ad hominem, you may know it as um, guilty by association. It's another way of saying guilt by association. So, guilt by association is um, it's not a true legal idea. Actually, let me check my legal counsel Is guilt by association a real thing? Okay, according to (laughs) my legal counsel, it's not a real thing. Uh, It's kind of just a phenomenon. It's not really how the law works. At least it's not supposed to. But, but, it's also nearly impossible to avoid. This, This guilt by association assumption is nearly impossible to get away from. And quite honestly it's usually and i'm saying usually usually it's not completely unfair right i'm sorry officer i didn't know that everyone else in the van had drugs on them they seemed like good people most of right there is like technically not guilty ad hominem though right but guilty by like the the assumption isn't exactly exactly ridiculous Uh, now the second one the second thing that i want to get into and i'm going to explain why we're talking about these things is stockholm syndrome are we familiar with stockholm syndrome this is the other phenomenon that has to do with innocent people and innocent people's relationship with criminals uh it's another type of of sort of crime trap for the innocent much like ad hominem this one refers to an innocent person getting involved with a guilty person through no fault of their own right stockholm syndrome is actually a phenomenon where someone is taken hostage or sort of sucked into criminal act person who was innocent to begin with starts to side with the criminal who has taken them hostage, or the criminal who has stolen their car and they're stuck in the passenger seat, or they're driving for the criminal. Eventually, there is this syndrome that takes over sometimes where someone will start to side with them. They'll start to be like, all right, well, we're in this together now, I guess. I wasn't planning on committing crimes today. I wasn't planning on robbing a bank today, but seeing as how you're robbing a bank and I'm here and you've been pretty nice to me, uh, I guess you might be the good guy. I might actually think that i i kind of hope that you make it out of this now when it comes to politics when it comes to our affiliation with our parties and with our politicians these two traps are actually pretty common now even if our politician isn't committing crimes i just think it's a pretty good example for us even if it's not a criminal activity of not because i don't know politicians i know of have ever committed any crimes um and no party that i know of has ever had anybody in that's committed any crimes so let's uh let's let's just Assume that's not necessarily the example that we're going for here, but these two things really happen, and they're, and they're really damaging. We get roped in, and you could just nod if you're like, yeah, that has happened to me. We get roped in with our party, or our candidate, or most often, the biggest jerks in our party. Guilty by association, right? People are like, you, you, they find out you're a Republican, and you're like, oh yeah, you're a Republican, Like, that idiot over there. And I'm like, well, no, not that idiot over there. Like, they find out you're a Democrat. And you say, yeah, I'm a Democrat. And they say, oh, yeah, you're a Democrat. Like those dummies over there, like those jerks over like, No, not like those jerks over there, right? But this is something like ad hominem, right? Guilt by association. This kind of happens to us. We're like, well, I put this label on myself, and now I am assumed to be guilty of the same things. I am associated with the same things. And then, in particular, the Stockholm Syndrome takes over when we find ourselves, now, and you've never done this, but some people have on the internet sometimes, We find ourselves defending truly terrible or just plain stupid things that our party or our politician does or says just because we think of them as ours to defend. It's like, well, they're on our team, so we will defend all of the stupid things they say and all of the evil or wrong or bad things that they say. These are both a real problem for the church. They're both a real problem for those of us who are supposed to represent, first and foremost, the kingdom of God, to represent Jesus. We can't let ourselves become so entangled with our party that we appear to agree with them on everything, even when they're wrong. Right? And you don't want that to happen. You've been begging for that to please not happen. Like, don't assume that I agree with all of them on everything. But it is kind of... Guilt by Association, Stockholm Center, they both kind of happen to us. We can't let ourselves lose the ability to call evil what it is, even in our party and in our politician, because we we get so close to them sometimes that we can't recognize they're wrong. And this has even happened, again, maybe even in other countries. Maybe this isn't even an American thing. Maybe you've never seen this sort of thing happen. We might even find ourselves defending our party, our politician, or that we would consider to be complete disqualifications if somebody in the other party did or said them. Right? This is not a completely ridiculous phenomenon, right? This is not. I'm just saying this has happened. We have seen it happen. We've maybe done it too. Where we, we defend a politician for saying something we would never say. Defend a politician for doing something we would never do. Defend a party for standing for something that we would never stand for. We defend our politician for saying something that we would accuse the other politician for saying. Right? Oh, come on. Yeah, we have. Come on. Don't tell me that's never happened. Don't tell me that's not Don't tell me that's not why we're exactly we're we're right smack dab in the mess that we're in. And here's what I want to share with you today. You have a right and And probably, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and if you don't, that's fine. I'm glad you're here too. But if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you have a right and a responsibility to distance yourself from the less savory aspects of your party and your politician. You get to do that. You get to say, yes, I voted for him. Yes, I voted for her. And yes, I think he's wrong on that. Yes, I think she was wrong for doing that and for saying that. I voted for them because I thought they would do the best thing for the most amount of people. But then that, that character flaw there, that's a character flaw. We can do that. You have that right. Does that give you any relief whatsoever? I was hoping that you would be like, oh, I didn't even know I had that right. I didn't even know I could do that. I didn't know I could vote for somebody and then say, but I don't know them personally. And some of the personal stuff they do, I find to be very, very offensive. and very. I didn't know that I didn't have to defend that stuff. You have a right to do that. And maybe... You even have a responsibility to do that. For some reaches us in this. Paul teaches in in First Thessalonians chapter five, a couple of verses of scripture. This is going to seem a little out of place at first, but you'll see the context here in just a moment for why we're starting where we are. Uh, he teaches in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen: Do not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecy is is he's talking unimportant. Now two things are being said there. Uh, The first thing that's being said is is he's talking about do not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about in your own life and in your church and in your community and your family and in the way that you interact with each other. Do not hold back the work that God wants to do in you. At work He wants to do through you. Do not hinder that from happening. The Holy Spirit is at work in each of us teaching us how to bring heaven to earth. This is what he's saying here. And he's saying, don't forget that. In your affiliation to your party, in your affiliation to your, your politician, in your support of whatever you think should happen for the country, he just says the Holy Spirit is at work in each of us and is teaching us how to bring heaven to earth. Make sure that in your support of whatever, in your, in your pushing forward of whatever agenda that you may see fit to push forward, that you don't forget that there's actually your heavenly Father is at work within you wanting to change you into something that could actually make the world a better place. And we've got to remain committed to that work above all else. And the second part, where he says, do not treat prophecy as if it were unimportant, is a reminder of the significance of the scriptures. That essentially what Paul is saying is, in in verse 20, is you don't have to wonder what God would want you to do in every situation, really, he already showed us in Jesus the prophecy that Paul refers to is the prophecy of Jesus. It's Jesus saying, this is how the world works. This is what perfect humanity looks like. And it always looks like love. Like we pretty much always get to ask the question, what would love do here? What does love require of me here? Where, where does love require me to stand my ground? Where does love require me to take a step backwards and just let people have something? Like where, where does, that's, that's what he's essentially saying here. When we allow ourselves to fall for these traps that politicians and parties set for us, we slow the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we start to be, work, we start to work for them. We start to let them turn us into what their, their image of us, right? We start to let them tell us what we are like. We start to let our party dictate what kind of person we are, what kind of American we are. We start to let a politician dictate what kind of person we are. But you have a right to not do that. And you really have a responsibility to, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we have a responsibility to say, well, I'm not going to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in my life for a party, for a politician. I'm not going to. Soon enough, we will find ourselves choosing party or policy over the teachings of Jesus if we are not exercising this right regularly? And you've seen it happen, haven't you? If we find ourselves beginning to, to slip into this stuff, how do we course correct? You, if, if you've seen it happen, if you feel like, okay, but it is, it's is—it's tricky, Drew, because I actually do believe that if... When this party has the control that it's really good for the country, and so I want to do anything I can to, to get the, the control to that party. I do think that this politician is doing good things or could do good things for the country. So I really I really do think that I, I also have a right and a responsibility to try to do the best possible thing for the most possible people through a politician. So what do I? Do? how do I course correct when I start to recognize I'm becoming more like the image of my party or my politician or my ideals than I am? Becoming the image that the Holy Spirit is at work creating in me. And there's a bit of a tension that that raises for. Us. So, what do we do with it? Um, Paul makes this teaching really practical uh, in, in the next two verses, and that's where we're going to pull our sermon notes from, and we'll start kind of a conversation here. And if you want to text in questions, you absolutely can. I will probably move through this section relatively quickly. Let me go ahead and get this pulled up just in case I get some questions that come in. Let's look at the next couple of verses, though. How are we supposed to not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit? How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to not treat prophecy like it's not important? What what do we do, Paul? Um, He teaches this. He says, test everything, keep what is good, and stay away from everything that is evil. Come on. How much simpler does it get than that? I mean, Paul, how do we do that? Paul, he's like, all right, we'll just do good stuff and help that good stuff happen and don't do bad stuff and stop the bad stuff from happening. Like, that's pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, there you have it. This is American Politics for Christians 101. This is what I want to offer you in your sermon notes today. American Politics for Christians 101 is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Uh, which are actually written on your sermon notes, and so you can reference them there. But let's get into it. Let's look into this simple and straightforward uh, that you might want your money back after this sermon. But um, I don't think we can do that. American Politics for Christians 101. I'm just kidding. There wasn't a cover charge, people. This is free. This is totally free. But you can give if you'd like to to Risen Church to help keep these things moving forward. Uh, American Politics for Christians 101. Point one, bullet point number one in the first sets of blanks. Keep what is good. What do I do in, the, in this political sphere, Drew? What do I do? If I want to participate in the process, what do I do? Well, just make sure you, you know your primary focus is to keep what is good. Because our primary focus and the primary focus that your party wants for you whether whether it's a donkey or an elephant or a porcupine or some other creature, their primary thing they want from you is allegiance. They want you to vote for them no matter what. They want you to vote for whatever candidate they put in front of you who has the best chance of winning. That is their purpose for you. That is not God's purpose for you. God's purpose is that you would keep what is good uh drew i've never struggled to keep what is good that part is easy and obvious but i want to challenge you like that's exactly what i'm doing whenever i'm voting i'm voting to keep what is good i'm trying to keep things right where they are in the good place i'm trying to get things right where they need to be to the good place i'm that's exactly what i'm doing but i want to challenge you that i believe we do struggle with this part more than we would like to admit and this is remember i love you and you love me okay when our party or politician stands for things that align with our faith and that align for, with the things that we think are good, we stand with them. We keep what is good. But when the other party stands for something good, we refuse to acknowledge it. We try to contend that somehow is not really the right thing because they're doing it for the wrong. They're just trying to get us on their side. That's all they're trying to do. Or, or the most frequent thing we do is we downplay the importance of that good thing. We're like, well, that's not really what matters here. Right? You, know, you don't have to admit it. Right. Right, Drew. That, amen, Drew. That's, that's what we do. We want to keep what is good when it's our party who's doing something good, but we don't like to acknowledge it on the other side. But that's a problem. That's an issue. Because the problem with refusing to acknowledge good in the other party, and this is the next slide and the next uh, couple of sets of blanks in your sermon notes, the problem with refusing to acknowledge good in the other party is that soon enough we stop noticing good at all. You understand this? When we refuse to say, hey, the other side is good on something, the other side is right on something, we start to, we're not recognizing good at all. We start to lose sight of what good is. We start looking for our party, and before long, we start to equate our party with good, our politician with good, right? If you can't acknowledge the good in the other side, the good on the other end of the equation, you will start eventually to just assume that your party is the good one all the time. That your politician is right all the time. And that's how we end up back at Stockholm Syndrome. That's how we end up back in these loops of like now, my party determines what is good in my life. Even when our party or politician does something evil, we end up calling it good. How could it be evil? They're with us. They're, They're good. They've redefined good for us. Does that sound familiar? Which leads us to our next point. Uh, the next set of blanks in your sermon notes. We would keep what is good and we would reject what is evil. I know. Simple sermon, Drew. You can't do better than that. You had a whole week to think it through and you came up with keep what is good and reject what is evil. But, but listen to this and I have a lot to say on this particular part. We read that and we say, that's, that's what I'm doing, Drew. I'm rejecting what is evil. That's what me and Fox News are doing, Drew. We're rejecting what is evil. That's what me and MSNBC are doing, Drew. Don't get nervous whenever I say Fox News. I'm going to say MSNBC too, okay? Don't like, oh, no, there he goes. Right? right? I'm, I'm going to always, because there's probably, listen, it's, there- <laughs> you, your side isn't, you are not the problem here, okay? But the problem is these powers that be that tell us how to think and tell us what, to- and, and, and even that. Even that, and and this does relate to what we're saying here. Of course they're going to do that. That's what empires do. So actually, I guess I would come back around and say, they're not really the problem. We are when we forget our right to say, no, you don't tell me how to think. You don't tell me what I believe. You don't tell me what good is. You don't tell me what evil is. I'm not coming to my party to ask them what is good and what is evil. I'm going to the scriptures. I'm going to the Holy Spirit's work in me. I'm going to call my party wrong when they're wrong. I'm going to call the other party right when they're right. That's all we're kind of getting at here. And they're like, that's what we're doing, Drew. We're rejecting evil. When is the last time you distance yourself from your politician or your party because they were wrong? That's what really matters here. I'm not asking if you and your party are fighting evil on the other side. I'm asking, when's the last time you found yourself saying, I voted for them? I still think they're the right person for the office, but I disagree with that. That is not good What they said there, I'm not okay with that. When's the last time you went public about that kind of thing? When's the last time you said, I voted for this person and I'm not happy that they're talking this way. I'm not happy that they're treating people this way. When's the last time we distanced ourselves from party and from politician to reject what is evil? Right? They are. They're just people. The next set of blanks. When you defend evil, when we defend evil, we are not fighting against the other party. We are fighting against good. When we defend evil, even when it's our party, our politician, when we defend them doing and saying evil things, we're not fighting against the other party. We're fighting against good. Does that make sense? There's a whole lot of people who have begun to associate American Christianity with ideals that have nothing to do with Jesus. It looked nothing at all like Jesus because we have defended evil in order to fight against another party. When we defend evil, we don't fight against the other party. We fight against good. The longer you defend things that you know are evil for your party, The more you normalize evil in your own heart, the closer we get to it. Stockholm syndrome starts to take over. The more we're like, oh, we got to hide that part. No, we don't hide that part. The more like, oh, I don't want to talk about that part. Let's talk about that part. Let's say, yeah, I'm still voting for them. But I don't think that's right. Let's distance ourselves from those things. You have that right. And you probably have that responsibility. The question a Christian should be asking, and this is what I'm going to close on. The question a Christian should be asking is not which party is the most Christian. Ooh, I just broke somebody's TV. I just, bro- I just broke somebody's uh, favorite preacher on the television. The question is not which party is the most Christian. Neither party's Christian and both parties Christian. That's, that's not the question we're here to ask. That question is ridiculous. These parties are not designed to bring heaven to earth. That's not what they're here for. They're designed to, get to bring heaven to earth. That's what Christian means. Christian means I'm here to bring heaven to earth. The question a Christian should be asking is, am I willing to put my faith before my politics? That's the bottom line. That's what this whole message series is about. This is right smack dab in the middle of the three weeks of it, the, the three conversations we're going to have about it. This is the question that matters. It's not which party is the most Christian, Drew. I thought you were going to tell us that. Which politicians the most Christian? That's not the right question. We're all going to arrive at different. We all come from different backgrounds. We all, we're going to arrive at different conclusions about that stuff, and that's okay as long as the most important question that every one of us is asking is, am I willing to always put my faith before my politics? Am I willing to always put my commitment to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, the loving Savior of all people, the one who laid down his life for his enemies? Am I willing to put my faith in him in front of my politician, in front of my party. When that becomes the dominant question, we will find ourselves identifying with the good in both parties or all three parties (laughs) or four or five. I know there's other ones too, but we don't have, there's not enough animals that are, that are already pre-designed in that red and white thing. The dominant question and becomes the dominant question. We will start identifying with the good and rejecting the evil in both parties, in all politicians. We'll find ourselves saying, Here's how I'm gonna vote. Or not or here's why I'm not gonna vote, whatever, that you have the right to to either. You know? I, here's here's why they're not actually And here's here's why it's conflicting for me to vote for this person, because that other person, they're actually standing for some stuff that I think Jesus would probably stand for too. It's keeping the good, right? You still vote, how are you going to vote? But do not, let us not make our allegiance to some person other than God. We're going to find ourselves enjoying this right and this responsibility that we've always had. We're going to find ourselves enjoying the option To, um, and let's just put that scripture back up again. Let's end on that. And then I'll I'll check for some questions. This is something to be enjoyed. Uh, first Thessalonians. Yeah. That we get to keep what's good and stay away from what's evil. Is that not, is that not kind of a relief? That like we could go into the voting booth and say, all right, I'm going to vote for the lesser of evils here. I know there's I know there's problems in each side. I'm going to I want to pick the thing that I think is going to do the most good for the most people. And I would say that's probably an important part of this. You know, just to get a just to get slightly po- political. I do think that following in the footsteps of Jesus is to vote for the thing that's going to do the most good for the most people, not to vote for the thing that's going to do the most good for me personally. That, you know, vote how you want to. I, I'm not, I'm not going to kick you out. I won't even know. But I would just say that we should be thinking about others. I mean, that is following in the footsteps of Jesus. You also have the right to say, yeah, I'm not following in the footsteps of Jesus. That part of my life. And I think he'll love you anyways. I think. I don't know. But I think you can do that. I'm just saying if you want to know what is, the, what is the Jesus way to think of this, Jesus always puts others before himself. And so always thinking what does. And, I, man, this is the most people. Um, is kind of the, the way that I, so, but, but we get this right, and I, man, this gives me a lot of relief. I, I told you, and I, I shared something I probably shouldn't share as a preacher uh, in the United States, but I haven't voted for several years because I really, really struggled with the way that this was articulated to me. I was like, well, I can't support the lesser of evils. I'll just accept what is and, and just move on. And I know I'm part of the problem. It's us millennials. It's our issue. Uh, we're going to fix it. We're trying. Um, but we're, we're, uh, but that was the thing for me because I didn't know that I had the right to keep what was good and to reject what's evil. But there it is in the scriptures themselves. It's like if you want to participate in the process, um, let's pause for a couple of questions. I have several that came in. There's no way I'm going to respond to all of them. So I'm going to respond to the easiest ones. Um, How we feel? We good? You still love me? I still love you. Uh, I hope that this was, uh, you know, helpful in some way that we're able to get into a conversation that's... All right, what if you don't know what is good and what is evil? Um, How do we navigate the unknowns? That is, uh, that's a great question. And then is there an experimenting component... Uh, to this philosophy or is that dangerous great great question complicated question what if I don't I'm gonna I'm just gonna address what is maybe the most surface level version of this and I'll text you back to and if you want to have a deeper conversation about it maybe we can Um, but what do I don't what what do I do if I don't know what is good and what's evil I think that's where the little side note that I just made is, is probably a super important thing because this isn't really a message series about how to vote, uh, but if it were, and that's what this question I think is about, like, okay, well, well what do I support then? Because um, I'm struggling. How to. Um, if this were a message series about how to vote, I would say if you... Jesus was murdered at the age of 33 by the, the political sect all around him, by the religious sect all around him. As, like, as far as leadership of empires goes... His way doesn't really work for it. Um, that's, not, that's not what he was about. He was about overthrowing empire's power over us by saying, what are well, we going to love anyways? It's like, you'll never get the power that way. He's like, we don't really want the power. We just want to love. We just want to be fully human. We just want to love people. So that, that is, but what do I do if I don't know what is good and what's evil? I think the only way that we really have to navigate what is good and what is evil is to ask the question prayerfully and, and conversationally with the people that you can trust to have these kinds of conversations. What will do them like a Bible thing so much as like an, just an, an ethical kind of thing? So that makes it like I'm not speaking on the authority of a, of a pastor as much as I'm just saying, I think Jesus always puts others before himself, always puts the needs of others before his own needs. I think he leads us into that. So what is good? Well, good is what helps the most people. To to discover love to that helps the most people live in peace and solidarity with each other. What helps the most people, um, and uh, and evil would be what doesn't right. That that's the again big big question. Uh, do we experiment with this stuff? How do we navigate the unknowns? I don't know that experimenting is is really the the word that I would like to use. But I think you know that Jesus boils the whole ethic of his. Um, of what he's teaching down to love people and love God. And so I, I think we usually, usually, and sometimes it's complicated and sometimes there's a lot to it, but, but usually when we make the question, what does love require of me? What's the most loving thing I could possibly do here? Usually we know. Um, again, sometimes it's more complicated, but uh, like I said, I'll text you back on that and we'll, we'll have a longer conversation if you'd like. Um. just a a text in that says after the next election can we all commit to hugging a kid and telling them it's going to be okay no matter what happens (laughs) that's a you know and that's as much as that sounds like a joke I see the people in elementary school nodding um, because those kids don't know what's happening in the in the political sphere and when I was working in the middle school too I know they don't they don't really understand they only know how their parents react to things and sometimes, and, and I have seen kids and people who don't really understand what's happening shattered the day after an election. Had no idea what happened. Also, they don't even know that their world isn't going to change much. Like it's not. It really isn't. They, but their parents have articulated this. Have built this uh, storyline that is terrifying. So your team lost people. The good in this candidate too. <laughs> Somebody asked. I'm going to save that question for last. Um, if half of us like vanilla ice cream and half of us like chocolate, it is okay for the vanilla lovers to deny the chocolate lovers the ability to enjoy their choice? Totally. <laughs> yeah, this is the. Does this question makes sense. I know this is kind of a fun way of asking the question, but I think it's an important part of the conversation. It was like, well, is it really fair that that one side would get? And no, it's not. It's democracy. It's not fair. Democracy is not about being fair. Uh, life isn't really about being fair. And Jesus doesn't teach us that life is fair. If anything, he teaches us it's not. He never did anything wrong, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. So y- you might not get the vanilla ice cream you want, people. Learn to live in peace with that. That's, that's my advice on that, and I think it's Jesus' too. Right? Just accept it. Hug a kid. Tell him it's going to be okay. Hug yourself and say, you know, it's okay. We lost. It's no big deal. you got to learn how to lose, too. Uh, and then the final question, and this is the most important question of all, but which party is the most Christian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you for that question. Um, thanks for letting us end there. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's put this statement up. I think I put the, maybe I didn't actually do that this week for you, Ben. Judge, I did indeed. Look at that. Jesus didn't commission us. We'll be reading this again next week. All right. This is the, this is our, he didn't commission us to move any political agenda forward. Which, which party is the most Christian? There is no party that's Christian. That's not a thing. There is not a Christian party. Jesus didn't commission us to move a party forward. Guess what? There was no Republican or Democrat or Libertarian party before Jesus. Guess what? There probably won't be in this nation in the next couple of decades. Did you know that? That parties come and they go and they die off and they lose and, and that they're not the hope of this thing. They're not even how the whole thing works and how it benefits them. He did not commission us to move any political agenda forward. He did commission us to love all people no matter what. Keep the good. Reject the evil. Part of the process if you want to be a part of the process. You know, go all in if you want to go all in. But let's remember that in, our, in terms of our relationship with Jesus and what He has called us to do, we are not moving a political agenda forward for Jesus. And I know that's the narrative we're going to get. As Christians, we are going to be baited. We are going to be lied to. We are going to be sucked in. We're going to be told this is what Jesus wants you to do and wants you to say and how he wants you to vote. Jesus does not have a political agenda. He has commissioned us to love all people no matter what. And this is our commitment too. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that it was spoken clearly. I pray that it's helpful. God, I I pray that above all things that this message series brings peace among us and brings unity among us. God, teach us to operate in these rights that we have, the right to keep the good and reject the evil. God, what a novel and incredible idea that you had the foresight to include in your word thousands of years before today. And I pray that that word sets some people free. I pray that that word right there, that idea right there, gives some of us the permission to walk out of here and say, okay, I still do think my party is doing the most good for the most people. And I also can distance myself from some of the junk in it. I can distance myself from the major character flaws in some of it, I can distance myself and I can say, I am a Christian and I am also a Republican. I am a Christian and I am unaffiliated. I am a Christian first. God, no matter where we stand, that we would put our faith first and we, it would help us to keep the good and to reject the evil in all the ways that you call us to do that. We love you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.